Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. join the, the chorus this morning and wish you a very, very happy Easter. It is an honor to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with you today. And I just need to tell every one of you who are here, every one of you who are tuned in online, you are not here by accident today. You're here for a very specific reason. We have been praying for you. We believe that this day is a very important part of your journey towards God. Now, we got a lot of different people here, a lot of different people tuned in, watching on YouTube and Facebook and through our website. A lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different experiences, different political positions. We've got people in the room today who believe in God. We've got people in the room, who de- in room today who do not believe in God. We've got people in the room today who are just not sure what they believe about God. But whatever brought you here, or whoever drug you here today, you are not here by accident. This is an important day in your journey towards God. And for more than 2,000 years now, people have been gathering. Not just once a year, but every week people have been gathering to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, never to die again. And this weekend in particular, in the great cathedrals of our world, in auditoriums, in arenas, in church buildings like this one, in storefronts, in tents, in underground places, in great outdoor areas, people will come together and they will celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. People will spend thousands of dollars every year and they will travel to Jerusalem, to the Holy Land, and there they will go to the site of the grave of Jesus Christ and it is empty. There's nobody there. But it's such such a special event because they believe that Jesus is risen. And people who aren't even sure that Jesus is risen, they're in church this weekend too because they understand that if, if this is true, this has such an enormous implication for our lives. You know, I get asked from time to time, if I, as a pastor, as a preacher, if I ever have any doubts about my faith, about about this whole God thing, and it may surprise you to know that the truth is, yeah, I do. I do have doubts. But I take comfort because every person who was there the day that Jesus was crucified, they had doubts too. As Jesus hung on that cross on that Friday, what we now call Good Friday, his disciples his closest friends, his followers, onlookers from the community, his family, his own mother, they had doubts. As they watched Jesus hanging from the cross, they were realizing that they would never see him again. That was their assumption. That was their doubt. They had heard him, they thought, they figured, they just assumed that they had heard him teach for the last time. They'd seen him break bread for the last time. They'd seen him work miracles for the last time. And so as Jesus hung on the cross dying, they said their painful, silent goodbyes as they watched him die. 
Some of them fled Jerusalem. They were afraid that they would be next on one of those crosses. Some of them hid behind closed doors, hoping not to be discovered, not to be found. But God had plans for them to see Jesus again. Plans that they knew nothing about. Oh, they should have known. They should have known. But they didn't remember what Jesus had said to them. And so they, like maybe you, and even like me sometimes, they, they doubt it. They doubt it. And what happened next, that event that we're here to celebrate today, what happened next is not just a great moment. You see, what happened next has become the pivotal moment in human history. It's the moment of history that our calendars are built around. And it's the reason that more than two billion people around the globe are gathering today to worship Jesus. And best yet, it is the reason that you and I do not have to doubt and we do not have to fear. That we do not have to live in fear of death. And it is the reason that we can look at life and death completely differently because of the moment that happened. Can I review the events of that morning with you? I'm going to read through and talk through from the book of John this morning, John chapter 20. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn with me. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, you can check that out as well. It'll also be on the screen behind me as I read it, and we make some comments about this moment. This is John. John was there. He was an eyewitness to these events. He was, this is his biography of Jesus that we're reading from. He sat down to write down all the things that he has seen Jesus do, seen, heard Jesus say, and including in his biography of Jesus, he tells us this about this moment. John 20, beginning of verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Imagine how unsettling that would be for you. If you went to the graveside of a friend or a loved one, and instead of finding the tombstone in the neat rows like you expected it to be, instead there was a pile of dirt next to the grave, and the casket was, em was open and empty. That's the equivalent of what Mary Magdalene finds as she gets to the tomb. Add to it, the text tells us that it was still dark, so maybe she's carrying a lantern, a little oil lamp, perhaps. Maybe she's just good at walking in the dark. Wouldn't that be a little spooky <laughs> to find an open grave when you're walking in the cemetery in the dark? That's what she finds. And that massive stone that had been over the entrance of the grave, that had been placed in front of the entrance, had been moved, had been rolled away. Roman soldiers who the night before had been stationed outside the tomb to guard the tomb so that none of the Jesus followers would come and steal Jesus' body. Those soldiers were gone as well. Everything about this scene is unexpected to Mary. Verse 2. So she runs. She found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. You can tell, and this is important, I think, based on what she says here, that it hasn't even occurred to her that it's a possibility that Jesus has come back from the dead. That's not on her radar at all. It's on our radar when we read this. We know the end of the story. We've, we've heard this all of our lives. We know how this story ends. But for Mary in that moment, it's not even, not even a glimpse of hope that somehow Jesus is alive. Now, we're reading this from the book of John, as I mentioned earlier. This is John's biography of Jesus. 
John is actually the other disciple. Where it says there, the, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that is John's way of referring to himself. Now, we've got to be careful here because John is not saying that I'm the one that Jesus loved the most. That's not the point of the phrase. And he's certainly not saying he's the only one that Jesus loves. I think he's just being humble, referring to himself like this, and we're going to find out why in a moment. So let me just kind of walk through the three people that we've met so far in this story. First, we have Mary Magdalene, this woman who discovered the empty tomb. We learn about Mary Magdalene elsewhere in Scripture that at one point she had seven demons living inside of her. Now, if you have one demon living inside of you, your life is a wreck. You, you got no chance. But if you have seven demons who have taken residence up in your life, your life is in constant and utter turmoil. And that's the life that Mary knew before she met Jesus. Jesus relieved her of that. He cast out those demons. It's no wonder that Mary is so loyal to Jesus. There's no, it's no wonder that so many times that you find, when we read about Jesus, we find out that Mary Magdalene was nearby. It's no wonder Mary Magdalene was one of the pillars of the early church. So Mary's there. John is there. He's the one writing this. He's an eyewitness. He's telling us what he saw. He's the one who refers to Jesus. Uh, G John is one of the ones that Jesus referred to as the Sons of Thunder. I always like that nickname. The Sons of Thunder. That was John's nickname. I take that to mean that John had a really strong personality, maybe a temper. And then there's Peter, Simon Peter. Peter was the guy who was always saying and doing the things that were not what Jesus wanted from him. As a matter of fact, it was just a couple of days prior to this that Peter was the one that Jesus said to him, hey, you're going to deny me. And Peter goes, oh, no, no, Jesus, I would never deny you. And then proceeds to deny Jesus publicly three times in a row. So we've got a woman who had been possessed by demons, a guy who had denied Jesus just hours before, and a guy who couldn't control his temper. Does this tell you anything about the people who gathered around Jesus? Does that tell you anything about the people that Jesus welcomes into his company that he wants to be around him the people that jesus invites to follow him tells us a little bit about what can happen in people's lives no matter how messed up we are or we think we are when we begin to center our lives on jesus christ and trust what jesus says and begin to follow him it's curious to me as john writes this he thinks to call himself not by name the thing he thinks to call himself is the one that Jesus loves. So let me ask you, what would you think to call yourself? If you were going to not use your name, and you were going to refer to yourself in relation to Jesus, as John's doing here, how would you describe yourself? What would you say, who would you say you were? The one who's disappointed Jesus? The one who hasn't, hasn't given Jesus enough priority? the one who pretends to follow Jesus what what is it about your life what sin what disappointment what mistake what shortcoming in your life would you think that God would want you to use in referencing yourself John had made mistakes John had committed sins but John knew that above everything else he was one that Jesus loved when Jesus died on the cross a few days earlier, one of the things that Jesus said hanging on the cross are these words, translated in English, it's the phrase, it is finished. It is finished. And that phrase in English comes from one word in the Aramaic language, and that word means paid in full. 
paid in full. And because our sins have been paid in full, we don't have to see ourselves as the guilty ones any longer. We are no longer guilty or filled with shame in front of God. We can view ourselves and think of ourselves and call ourselves accurately, as John did, as the one that Jesus loved. All right, well, these next couple of verses in this passage might be my favorite in the whole thing. Verse 3. Peter and the other disciple, again, who's the other disciple? Say it with me. John, right? Make sure you guys are still awake. All right, so Peter and John started towards the tomb. I love this line. Ready? They were both running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. What I like about this, because this is just so, this is such a guy thing. You, you see it already, though, just such a guy thing. Even when the guy is writing about the resurrection of Jesus, he is sure to point out in the Bible, I smoked that guy. I toasted him when we were racing to the tomb. I left him behind. But John is also very honest here. Even when the storyline begins to cut the other way, look at verse 5. He, talking about himself, he ran, he beat the other guy, he stooped and looked in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. So John admits it. When I got to the tomb, I, I hesitated. There was something about it that, that, that he, I don't know, maybe he needed to take it all in. Maybe he was intimidated. Maybe he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Maybe he just didn't know what to do. But Peter goes in. Some versions of the Bible say that he ran in. That the opening of the tomb would have been about this high, and with a stone in front of it. So in my mind, Peter kind of slides into the tomb like a second, like somebody's still in second base. He's on a dead run, just slides in the tomb, and then starts looking around to see what's going on. Verse 6, Simon Peter arrived. He went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. This seems like an unnecessary detail, doesn't it? Why would John include the fact that this cloth that had covered Jesus' bloody head had been folded up and was just lying there? This is not something a novelist would think to include in a story. Well, think about it. If the disciples had been the ones who had gone in and, and robbed the grave and stolen the body of Jesus, would they have said, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let's fold this up before we go and make this nice and neat. No, 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 they wouldn't do that. If a thief breaks into your house and they go into your bedroom and they steal your jewelry and they, they find some stuff in your closet and then as they're leaving they see that your bed is unmade, the thief is not going to stop and say, you know what, this place is a wreck. Let's fix this up for them. The thief doesn't do that. He's not going to make your bed and tuck your sheets in and fluff your pillows. I think it's really obvious here that what happened was when Jesus came back to life, he removed the cloth from his own head. And he must have thought, I'm just going to leave this here so that they'll know what happened. What an incredible detail. Well, the next verse might be the real reason that John doesn't include his name as he's telling the story. I think it's because of humility, because John figures it out before anybody else does. Verse 8. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in, and he saw, and say this word with me, believed. He saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. You see, John had heard all the teachings of the Old Testament. And all his life, he'd heard these teachings. And some of those teachings in the Old Testament are about a Messiah. Some of them suggested that the Messiah would die and come back to life. 
And then even later in John's lifetime, as Jesus was speaking to his disciples, several times Jesus said to them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be put on trial. I am going to be put to death, but I'm going to come back from the dead. But for some reason, even though John had read it, even though John had heard it, for some reason it just didn't stick. As he was dying, they didn't, those around the cross, those disciples who were hiding in another place, they did not expect Jesus to come back to life. When, to life. when they arrived at the tomb that Sunday morning, they didn't think, oh, Jesus is alive, Jesus is dead. They thought, oh no, where have they taken him? I think this is a lot like what happens in my life and what I suspect happens in yours. Because there are a lot of us who hear a lot of things about God and a lot of things about Jesus, especially early in our lives. If we grew up in the church or we, we heard it all of our lives. But for some reason, for some reason, it just doesn't take traction in our life. For some reason, it just doesn't stick. For some reason, the message of Jesus just doesn't get a hold of our lives. But we have this moment at some point in our lives. Maybe we hear the story again and we hear it with grown-up ears in our fresh ears. Maybe, maybe life teaches us some lessons, hard ones and easy ones both. Maybe we see real, genuine faith lived out in someone we admire and respect. And then it clicks for us. And the things that we've heard many times and the things that we've experienced somehow come together and crystallize for us in a moment that becomes a moment of transformation for us. That's what's going on with John. He's having this light bulb moment, this click moment. He's realizing what happened. And again, let me point out what Jesus leaves behind. He leaves behind grave clothes. Jesus doesn't leave behind a great big book with a bunch of exp explanations about a lot of things and a lot of answers to a lot of difficult and complicated questions. Jesus doesn't rise from the dead and then go around Jerusalem and, and hold symposiums and conferences and say, now I'm going to lecture you, now I'm going to tell you all of the answers to all the questions you ever wanted to know. No, no, Jesus comes back from the dead and he left his grave clothes to prove that he was alive. And you know why he did it? He did it because if there is a hope that overcomes death, there is a hope for everything. It, this is what I came to say to you. If there is a hope that overcomes death, there is a hope for everything. If there is an answer to death, there is an answer to everything. All of you are smarter than me. All of you could ask me a question that I know I cannot answer. But if you and I know that there is a way for us to have victory over death, then we have the answers that we need, even if we don't get all the other answers. You see, death is our greatest problem. Death is our greatest enemy. Death is our greatest challenge. Death is responsible for more grief and more tears than anything else. And the fear of death is the most intimidating fear that we face. So Jesus didn't sweat the smaller stuff when he came back from the dead. He left his grave clothes. He left the message that he was alive. 
and that death is no longer the victor. And he assumed that you and I would reason that if I can follow Jesus into the grave with confidence, I can follow Jesus anywhere. If he can answer the question of death, he can answer any question. And that's why the thing that Jesus did over and over and over again after his resurrection, after he rose from the dead, was appear to people. He just appeared to people. If you keep reading this chapter that we're in, John 20, he appears to Mary just moments later so that she will realize that he is alive. There are some followers of Jesus who are making a seven-mile walk to another city. Jesus appears to them and strikes up a conversation with them while they're walking so that he so they will know that he is alive. Later that night, all of Jesus' closest disciples were together. They're behind a locked door. They're afraid. They don't know what's going on. And Jesus appears in their presence so that they will know he's alive. And of course, you know, there's always one guy who shows up late, right? There's always one guy who gets there late. Thomas doesn't get there. So Jesus appears to Thomas and shows Thomas that he is alive. Jesus appears to people again and again and again, time and time again. What Jesus wanted to say to people was, I'm alive. I'm alive. He showed up and lived in front of them because he knew that the answer, that was the answer to the most important question. How do I overcome death? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth just a couple of decades later. He says, I passed on to you what was most important. In other words, this is what I was told as the most important thing to know. So the most important thing is this. Christ died for our sins. Next slide. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures say. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. That is the core of our faith. This is what we call the gospel. This is what we call the good news. This is what we hang on to when life gets hard. This is what we hang on to when we're afraid. This is what we hang on to when grief overwhelms us. This is the most important thing. So what does it all mean? Why does it matter? What does Easter and the resurrection mean? Is this just, just God showing us that he can do cool stuff? Is this just God saying, ta-da, I can bring people back from the dead? Is this just Jesus saying, you can kill me, but I can come back? Is, is God just, just in the entertainment business? No. Here's why this matters. The resurrection of Jesus means, more than anything else, the resurrection of Jesus means that you and I can trust him that we can trust him, that it makes sense for us to believe him. It's not some emotional need that we have to, to believe in something. It is something that is worthy of being believed. If Jesus came back from the dead, he is the most dependable, the most reliable, the most trustworthy person ever. If Jesus came back from the dead, he is the most courageous and the most all-knowing and the most all-powerful person ever. If Jesus came back from the dead, then his words are important for me to hear. If Jesus came back from the dead, then I'm going to know that following Jesus 
is the best way to live. And I can trust him. And I'm going to trust him. Because I can trust the guy who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then pulled it off. I can trust the guy who came back from the dead. Let me pray for you. I'm going to ask our communion team to go ahead and take their places, prepare to serve our communion time. Let's pray together. Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, I'm praying over all who hear my voice right now in this room, on this broadcast. God, I know in some hearts today there is pain, there is skepticism, there is longing, there's fear. And I'm praying that the Spirit of the risen Christ will enter into those hearts to heal, to bring hope, to bring courage, to bring love. And that we can live as a risen people who will let nothing stop us from pursuing the man that death could not hold. We celebrate that now in this time of communion. In the name of Jesus, we pray.